22 millimeter. It's about an 80 millimeter, right? It's about an 80 millimeter board. I think I think we have an RPG that could fire that, actually. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm surrounded by first strikes. Is that a bad thing? Uh, I wish that uh, I wish that I had spent the money in first strikes on the stock market in Bitcoin that I've spent over the last <laughs> ten years. <laughs> don't we all? Don't I'd we be a freaking millionaire. I think beyond um, that. Yeah. Okay. I think. I think we're good. I think there's a slight delay and the video is a little messed up, but frankly, I don't give a shit. So we're gonna keep moving forward. <laughs> yeah, I got a I got a notification. We're live on uh, YouTube, we're, so we're live, I know Facebook too. But there's a there's their videos fixed. Fantastic! Holy Christ, we're oh, there we go. Twenty four minutes late, but we're here. <laughs> Dave, you look completely unimpressed. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode one hundred and forty one and a half. Because it's I don't know. We're, this is this is such a shit show. Now, this is episode 142 of the Maritime Wilson Podcast. My name is Brad O'Dell, and with me I have, uh, as always, one of my co-hosts here, Tactical Tuna. Guys. And then we have uh, Dave, David Williams from Karma Tech, Karma Tech Engineering. The man himself. The man, the, the man himself. The, the man father of the, the, the man, the legend. Uh, the, uh, yeah, we'll get that later. And then we got uh, Lou. Who, unfortunately, and Chris. I, I, and Chris, I know very little about Lou. All I know is that he was uh, heavily involved with the testing of the first strike rounds for ASTM standards. Um, and and I'll actually always be indebted to Lou because he, like I said, we met briefly, but he probably doesn't remember at Platoon Leader when I went three years ago, they sold out of first strikes. And all I had was like a hundred round box and Lou had like... 700 round boxes and <laughs> i didn't know a single person there I was all by myself and i was like so uh lou you got an extra box you can sell and without question he sold me a box on the spot and it basically saved my day because i shot first strikes basically the entire time instead of having to switch to round ball halfway through so lou i've been in your debt for many years even though you didn't know it. uh no problem man it's all good fun <laughs> yeah that's all great. about that's awesome uh so um that's strange. <laughs> What's up? Uh, I'm not sure what just happened. I'm not going to play with my mouse. Yeah. Um, Brad, Brad gets distracted doing the producer role as well as hosting. At yeah, the I'm time. the host slash producer slash director slash tech support. So I'm yeah. kind of handling everything here. And Facebook won't let us go live. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Did this not, did this not happen before? Uh, we're on Facebook's shit list right now because I keep saying words like shit list. <laughs> uh, we've also been flagged by YouTube because we're, we use uh, non-family friendly, uh, words. So we, don't so. Get, we know, no ad revenue for us, eh? Not that we'd really make much of anything. Anyhow. Nope, none. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really strange though. Cause for whatever reason, Facebook is, is telling me that we're not allowed to go live. Um, I don't know. Whatever, I guess. Well, I we'll guess we're YouTube. Up, guys. We're we're live on YouTube, yeah. so that's that's really all that matters. Um, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's Facebook's weird like that. Facebook. Yeah, that's all right. So screw it. We're live on YouTube, not Facebook. That's that's how it's gonna roll. Anyways, so Dave, let's talk. Let's get right into it because 
basically this is uh this show's been uh not going according to okay. plan so to hell with the plan <laughs> uh immediately let's let's talk the biggest thing was the nemesis barrel that was the biggest thing uh that was the whole point of this show sorry i'm very distracted and i'm uh, a very rummed up coffee in so uh how long were you working on the nemesis barrel for well, we actually started um, we started development of the Nemesis Barrel kind of in tandem when uh, Lou, uh, Dave, Katie, and I were doing ASTM testing. Um, when we say ASTM testing, we were not sponsored by ASTM. Uh, we weren't sponsored by any other uh, conglomerates. It was literally just, yeah, I, I work for Karmatech, or I own Karmatech, but at the end of the day, it was just, three engineers that really wanted to know, you know, we wanted to put a proof uh, to to the theory that First Strike was either, um, you know, what did First Strike do on impact? That was really the, that was really the reasoning for that. But, but there was, uh, during the testing, there was, uh, there was about two, maybe three nights where we, you know, we were up for uh, probably close to 24 hours. And, uh, you know, we, we started noticing some things um as we were shooting them we, we had noticed out in the field as well you know, certain things certain aspects about how the projectiles were flying from the barrels so um you know we just to try to keep the blood flowing to our brains we were kind of you know conceptualizing different uh, concepts and okay. um i think we had done that well before that but anyways to to give you a date i think you know we're probably pushing two and a half three years on the concept and then moving into development Interesting. Okay. So it's been a little while. So this has been a work in progress. Uh, how did you, how did it start? Like did, where did you just grab like hammerheads or something and just start as a baseline and then just go, okay, where can we improve on this? How can we, how can we fix this? Is that like, take us through the, the very uh, simple. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good question. What, what really, uh, and, and Lou, uh, Lou's uh, memory of this may, uh, may be different from mine, but, there was something. There was something that triggered or piqued an interest um, for observation. Now, whether it was whether we noticed that um, it was curiosity about what kind of rotation we were getting out of a hammerhead barrel, um, or perhaps it was um, when we were shooting the hammer, the hammerhead twenty inch to the Lapco six eighty three, uh, we started to know we started to notice certain discrepancies. For instance, just like what we what we put in the video, the Nemesis video was, you actually, we would see this, the LAPCO held a, a really, really tight horizontal group, uh, but but the vertical group was, was much, was three, four times the width. Um, but then we also noticed the difference, almost the opposite of that um, with the hammerhead. So, I think part of it was trying to figure out why was this, right? Why did this? Uh, and I think that that, that was, it was that question that really gave us, um, you know, gave us the momentum to try to to try to answer it. What was causing this uh, these discrepancies in the barrel? Was it just the bore? You know, going from a six eight three to a six eight eight, could could that just be enough to to cause these differences? That's kind of where we at. Um, Lou, do you have anything to uh, kind of extend on that statement? Uh, I think there was um, 
think that that's a that's a fair that's a fair assessment. I know earlier earlier than sort of the uh, the testing, uh, David David and I uh, D1 and D2 uh, would tend to have some rather long-ranging conversations around the natures of the nature of ballistics at large, whether it was internal ballistics, external ballistics, uh, as the uh, search, if you will, for greater precision in our little sport uh, took flight. You know, we're, you know it's, it wasn't enough for us to, uh, my, my recollection of those earlier conversations, it wasn't enough for us just to, to be uh, satisfied with the current state of the art you know the the marker that dave engineered you know i think everybody agrees that from a consistency point of view well not everybody but a fair number of folks <laughs> uh, would agree that from a uh, you know an engine point of view uh, david's created a an extremely consistent delivery platform so uh i what i recall is that during the uh you know part of during the testing for ASTM, conversations around, you know, what ultimately became the supremacy in our search for trying to draw parallels from real world ballistics into the paintball space. Uh, the idea of trying to find the ideal barrel profile for an FSR really took hold. And that's where I think the rest of it came from. And okay. it's nice to see that because like, as you guys mentioned, you know, you guys spent a lot of time doing ballistics and it's nice to know that there are actual engineers out there trying to figure this out because enough times you're on the Facebook groups and that, and it seems like everybody <laughs> who's ever picked up a calculator in their life is trying to calculate these ballistics and coming up very short or coming up with wildly different, you know, um, you know, there's still the argument is smooth bore or rifle better for round ball. And I mean, the argument goes down. There are people who agree on both sides swear up and down and there is an answer. And, you know, it's when you guys get together, guys like you guys with engineering backgrounds get together that we actually find out the real answer, the truth. And uh, so we appreciate you guys and all the effort you put into not only getting ATSM certified, but also getting us the gear that we want, which is barrels and markers that are going to put our first strikes right where we want them to go. And yeah, exactly. uh, I want to be able to put that first strike right through that two inch hole that buddy, I can see him through. Like, right. At four, you know, up here in Canada, you're lucky to get a first strike for less than 50 cents around. I mean, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be shooting six of them to hit somebody. You, you want to be, you know, lining up. And if you've got the, you know, shot right, let's hope it hits where you want it to go. And you're right, judging by some of the photos and the stuff I saw in the promotional video you guys have, there is a big difference. Some the spread is very lateral, other it's very horizontal. And... Uh, it's interesting to see what little changes can make those differences. And I'm, I guess I'm kind of glad to see you guys are tackling that one. Yeah, there's, there's a middle ground here, you know, the sport and the, the, the products that we have to work with, uh, aren't nearly as precise as real world, real steel bullets. Well, yeah. Right. Right. It's, well, yeah, it's right. <laughs> first strikes as, as accurate as people like to say they are. And they're like, yeah, it's the most accurate thing in the world. Ultimately, it's a fluid sitting inside of a shell that isn't exactly like precision milled. You know, <laughs> it's it's an injection mold. It's, you know, mass manufactured and it's not designed to go through two inch holes. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a yeah. limit. There's, there's going to be a limit. <laughs> yeah, to exactly. The, exactly. To, to the envelope of precision. And, 
you know, more needs to be done in the projectile space for sure. Uh, yeah, the round ball's getting old. Right, but but Absolutely. you know, Dave and the technology that, that that he's putting on the market is is really pushing the envelope. Some folks don't want to hear that, but you know, the marketplace will will certainly bear out what uh, you know uh, whether or not it's successful. Obviously. Uh, based on performance as opposed to what we write in text, you know, in little Facebook tweets and things of that nature. Completely, completely agree. Yeah. The proof, the proof's in the pudding, right? Like, right. you know, there's a reason say, as we brought a platoon leader earlier, the two years that I went, the sniper competition was won by SARS each two years. I think the second runner up was M17s uh, the two years as well, but it's just the same thing. You know, you produce a consistent platform and you're going to, you know, while we're still dealing with the inconsistency in the rounds and the wind or whatever else, you know, if your delivery system, as you put it, is on the best it can be, you're just eliminating more of those variables that are going to put the target or put the shot off target. And uh, I think the SAR-12, I don't think there's anybody who argues that there's a marker out there that can perform as well as a sniper. Um, in my opinion, at least I haven't met anybody who's got a, a solid argument against it. No, it's the SAR-12 is in the right hands, can do some serious damage. Uh, unfortunately, I find half the time it's in the wrong hands. But you know, we can't we can't forget the we can't forget the human factor, of course. Yeah. And uh, you know, as as the as the document that Dave released earlier this year uh, proved, there are there are a number of platforms that are very close, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very absolutely. Close. Absolutely. I was actually blown away about how well my TGR fired the first strike rounds. Uh, and so I was, cause I had tried them before and it just shredded them. And ma I think it was just the barrel that I was using the original at the time. So second time around in a fit of rage. And after going through how many markers, I think I went through four trying to get everything to work. Like every marker I picked up exploded in my hand, except the TGR. Cause it's too simple. It can't. And, uh, and it just worked, but anyways, it, um, there's some great platforms out there, and I, I'm excited to see what's uh, what people. Are, I'm excited to see what people are going to do with these Nemesis barrels. So, well, that that's kind of my yeah. question as well. Is that so? As mentioned, uh, you know, I love to shoot first strikes. Uh, we go to games, shoot in all various different ranges. Um, right now, I'm using a Milsig uh, Stalker barrel, um, so it is kind of my hybrid between. I'll use it for round ball. I will use it for first strikes. Pretty happy with the performance for both. Um, but I would eventually like to split into my first strike barrel and my round ball barrel. And obviously the nemesis is calling my name or at least, you know, it's piqued my interest uh, at least. But one of my questions is, is that I, for as much as using a first strike uh, rounds, I am by no means a sniper. I barely even have, um, you know, my red dot has no glass in it. I don't have iron <laughs> sights. Um, you know, I tend to fire the first shot and follow up afterwards. So I'm not looking for a 16 inch or a 20 inch barrel. I'm looking for a 10 inch barrel. Um, preferably something that has a thread on the end, that little bit of tactical for a uh, muzzle break or something like that. <laughs> but um, I guess now as those words come out of my mouth, I know your muzzle break is actually one of the things that I think from the video, uh, promotional video, provides some of the benefits. So maybe yeah, I won't be swapping that one yeah. out. The stable but, flight um, muzzle system. Very, very sophisticated sounding. Yeah, and I guess what I'm trying to ramble on to is that um, is am I really supposed to expect or should I see a major performance difference between the 10, 
12, 16 or 20 inch variances that you're developing it in? Have you tested them to see, you know, how the different lengths compare with one another? So, um, so I, I think there was about three to four questions all within there. And I, I rambled I a little bit. <laughs> Just a little I bit, buddy. <laughs> I know it, no, it's no problem. Um, so uh, in the end of January, uh, we are planning a BTT get together for any BTT guys that can, can get together. And uh, we are uh, assembling a combination of any first strike gun. Uh, if it shoots first strikes, we're going to get them together and uh, we're going to do, um, I'm going to have barrels made up, production quality barrels that are uh, anywhere from 8 to 18 inches long. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost a lot of time and a lot of money, but we're going to run, um, I think I figured it out that we're going to run about 10 to 15 rounds per barrel per gun through and at 50 yards, we're going to see what the grouping is for every one of those barrels on that particular marker. And by doing that, we should be able to summarize what is the best barrel for that particular marker. So, for instance, you're a mil-sig guy. Um, the mil-sig uh, drivetrain or valve uh, operates significantly different than the SAR valve. So... Um, you, and this is this is why I didn't want to sell the 20-inch barrel to all of these people in the market Understood, is because yeah. I didn't want them to have this theory that just by putting this barrel on this gun, it's going to now shoot, you know, it's going to shoot to the moon. And so um, the same theory goes, goes with this. We're going to offer different length barrels, but part of the marketing is that we're going to show uh, particularly with, a, with like a mil sig or anything, we're going to say... You can buy any of these barrel lengths, but we found the mil sig works best with X length barrel. Gotcha. So that kind of goes there. Um, like I said, we're looking at I think January 27th that uh, for that event to be held. Um, uh, that's that's assuming that we have uh, United States uh, winner and not Canadian winner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Right now, it's uh, it was negative thirteen in uh, in Indiana, and um, last night, and uh, yeah, we're not going to be going out and testing if it's negative thirteen. So. Oh come on now, <laughs> I played in yeah. blizzard conditions. Exactly. So yeah. so there's that first question, and then um, just to kind of segue into it, the um, I think people are going to really be surprised at how well these barrels work with round ball. We've I put about um, a thousand rounds, I believe, through these barrels, and, and um, I've never, I've never had a break in the barrel from from shooting round paint. Now I shoot, awesome. uh, I was shooting speedy, so it's the. Um, I think the if you were to if you were to have a, a most paintballs now are, are smaller bore, right? They're going to be around your six eighty somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. So. They don't, they, they engage the rifling, but it's not a tight fit where, you know, it's really putting a lot of pressure on the round. So I think, you know, it just kind of slides right through there. Uh, grouping, I didn't, you know, it's about as comparable to any other smooth bore uh, as far as grouping. Um, if you have a dimple, I, I did notice that if you have a dimple, it really does augment the, the travel of it. It'll, you know, if there's a dimple, it will yeah. hook the rifle, 
quite a bit. Um, but you know, that's 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 on par with any rifle barrel, right? That's so, on par with any barrel. You put a dimple ball through it, you'd be lucky to get the ball out the other end of the barrel. Sure. Agreed. Yeah, I, I find the same thing. If I've got dimples, I you know they're they're gone for me, and uh, whether I, whether I'm using smoothbore or not yet. But right, uh, it's just you feel you yeah. you think you're using an apex barrel half the time because the ball comes out, goes thirty feet, and then veers hard left. Yeah, so. yeah, very true. I find my personal trick actually, and at least for my Milsig stalker and micro barrel, is to keep my velocity down to about two seventy five, two eighty. If I'm actually, and if I find if I am ever playing and I haven't chrono that morning and I can kind of tell I'm shooting a little low, I find if I'm shooting actually between 250 and 275, I shoot absolute lasers. If I start cranking it above 275, I don't know whether it's the velocity catches the rifling or just too much aerodynamics on the, or whatever on the ball. Um, I start getting the hooks after that point. So I, my routinely play at around 275 for round ball for myself, even though the field limits 290 where I play. Just because I find I actually have a straighter shot, at least with the barrel I use. So it's a little probably anecdotal, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Depending on the size, the ball, the rifling, I'm sure round ball can still work quite well in a rifled barrel. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, I think the other, other uh, part of this was the tip. And the question was... Yeah. Uh, just the tip, just for a minute. Just the tip. Yeah, just the tip. So what I think... Um, the tip, the precision tip is not, the longer the, the longer the rifle section, the more important the precision tip becomes. Um, if on the shorter sections, you know, 12, 14 inches, we, I didn't notice a major difference in, in performance when not using the tip and then when using it. Uh, but on the 20 inch barrel, uh, I definitely noticed uh, the first the first round of testing that the tip made a huge difference, huge difference. Um, so um, Lou Lou and I and uh, Dave Katie um, we've we've contemplated and I think that we're still thinking about it. Uh, you know, getting a high speed camera, running it for a week just to see because there's so many questions not just about Nemesis, but there's so many questions that need to be answered. Um, and, That's actually and a really cool idea. These questions is slow motion still photography, right? So um, fortunately, Lou, is, Lou is, uh, is a nerd when it comes to cameras. So he, he has you. looked all of this stuff up and, um, you know, he's, he's, got his, he's got his dream list and he's like, yep, I want this, 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 and this. And uh, and then and then he brings it back to the then he brings it back to the beta group and says, oh by the way, my dream list is going to cost fifteen hundred dollars for the week. Uh, who's interested? And we're like, okay, well let's talk about that. Yeah. Did you have another dream? Yeah. <laughs> dream minus minus, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 No. Well, the thing is, is to you know, in order to be able to capture the behavior of of a first strike moving at 300 feet per second and spinning it at just shy of 12,000 RPM. Uh, you need some pretty quick shutter speeds and some reasonably high frame rates to be able to capture that behavior. If you want to be able to do an, you know, do critical analysis uh, on what the round is actually doing as it's departing that barrel or this barrel or whatever. So uh, it's not for the faint of heart. 
right? It's not like you can pull your iPhone out and yeah. you'll be able to capture that kind of stuff. So, but that's exactly what Lou, Apple Lou said just, I could do. Yeah, Lou is another camera nerd here. Just out of curiosity, what frame rate are you uh, eyeing up for a camera to kind of do that? What's kind of your ballpark? Just out of curiosity. Uh, you know, ideally, ideally, I'd like to be able to get up to seventy thousand frames per second. With yeah, a, okay, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's, that's up awesome. there. I was thinking like the the ten or the you know even a thousand to ten thousand, but up to seventy. That's pretty wild. That's insane. that's you know, the, that's, we're, that's. we're talking the lower end of the frame rate spectrum you know, to be in and around the 25,000 frames per second. And that's still very high. Uh, but even more wow. important than the frame rate is the shutter, the actual shutter speed itself. So we're talking, you know, we're talking in microseconds here. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, it, it, it cuts out a whole spectrum of lower end equipment. Oh, uh, I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. That's yeah, intense, if it costs 1500 to rent for a week, you can imagine what it costs to purchase brand new. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, they're these are certainly outside of uh, you know I'm not willing to mortgage my house to, to buy. <laughs> One of the guys yeah. in the chat here, agreed, uh, agreed. Matt, uh, Matt too had had a good point. He says reach out to the slow mo guys, like they're they're a YouTube uh, personality. They they have I don't know them, some yeah. they have a camera that doesn't look like a camera. I don't know anything about. Yeah, man. they're using a Phantom. They're they're using a Phantom, which is a similar type of gear that I'm looking at. So I you may have up. seen, you may have seen uh, a thing they did a few months ago where they, they actually had two, I don't know, two low end electros shooting at paintball, at each other trying to capture them. They were shooting at twenty thousand frames per second, and they were outside in the bright sunlight uh, to be able to capture that. So, huh. yep. Well, I say. Do a GoFundMe or something because that sounds awesome. I want to see <laughs> ultra slow mo first strike rounds coming out of barrels. Like that's that's that sounds like an amazing intro video. Is that what that sounds like? Just talk to the guys at FSR and just say there's a new tax. Every box of FSR has a dollar added onto it for testing fees. Your box now costs eighty six dollars US instead of eighty five and fifteen hundred <laughs> later, and and Lou's got his camera work. And They're I, right. And there we go. That's there like, we go. Done. yeah. It, Done. You know, socialism, social, uh, socialism isn't so bad when you explain it like that. But uh, <laughs> when, when we can get badass videos, socialism is great. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing, the, the thing that the thing that David, David, David and I are looking for, you know, really is to try to better understand the behavior of the projectile itself at a uh, at a scientific level. Right. To be able to do analysis on the round. Uh, to help further David's uh, work in, uh, you know, precision ballistics as it relates to, you know, this the sport. So, uh, yeah, it it just takes it takes time and money, and I think, you know, I know David has invested an exorbitant amount of money over the last few years in in research and development. Um, you know, some of us because we have no life, you know, do a lot of this stuff in support of you know, this work and it costs a lot of, it does cost a lot in time and money. So, uh, mm. but you know, the, hopefully the outcome is something that works better for everybody at a much broader level. Yeah. I mean, um, to, to that point, I think, uh, I'll, I'll first talk necessarily about, uh, Karmatech from a standpoint. Um, 
I don't know how other companies deal with their budgets as far as, you know, R&D and development and stuff, but there might be a lot of companies that uh, put a lot of focus on their marketing side versus their R&D side. But um, it seems like every dollar that, if it's residual, it's going into product development for me. You know, so, um, you know, the, the as soon as the SAR was out, um, I was immediately looking at how to make an optic that worked better than than the, uh, than the Hawk, um, and and that that project um, it wasn't nearly as lengthy as the as the Nemesis, but you know that project was probably at least a year long, I yeah. imagine. Um, I have a terrible memory, so I can't remember all this stuff. Uh, that's that's <laughs> fair. Commentary. So, but but so you know from. From a business side, it's all about you know product development and just continuing to. Um, I'm using the I'm using the business technically to fund my to fund my hobby and to fund my curiosity from uh, from <laughs> seriously. And Lou laughs because he knows it's right. But so I'm using that to really fund it to 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 just really push the envelope because at the end of the day. Um, we're all engineers. The three of us are engineers, Dave, Katie, myself, and Lou. We're all engineers and we're all fascinated with, all right, so we've got this 500 horsepower small block. What, what does it take to get 515 out of it, right? So we're continually trying to push that <laughs> limit. What do we have to do to get the next step? And and that's really where we're at. So, um, you know, the, the first aspect of it was produce uh, a gun that was um, – as consistent as I could possibly make. Um, now there there might be there might be some things in there that I can tighten it up a little bit, but you know in, in the in the adage of uh, 80 20 we're probably at 95 percent with the gun in my opinion, um, at least with the drivetrain and stuff. Um, but you know the next aspect was the barrel right and trying to really trying to really get. Uh, maximize the the barrel performance and even right now i think lou and i probably both agree that we're uh, the barrel is a is a major step forward but there's still so much work that can be put into that that you know we haven't even talked about and we're not going to talk about because we don't want to give hopes up you know but, but there's <laughs> so many different things that we want to try to do with with that barrel to to try to you know bring it even farther along Nice. Speaking of the barrel, uh, Donovan actually asked a good question. He says, with the possibilities of newer types of shaped projectiles coming out, uh, will the Nemesis keep up with those changes? And I think he's referring to the uh, uh, long-awaited shaped projectile from MCS. MCS barrel cleaner, that's me. Yeah, I mean... The high-speed barrel cleaner. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, as yeah, as long as the uh, as long as the projectile uh, fits the same diameter as the um, first strike, there, there's no there's no reason for that barrel to to not work. Um, so um, one thing that one thing that we ought to remember too is that the biggest advantage. Um, the biggest advantage of this project was that for me, it allowed me to do the engineering um, theory and be able to control all of that myself. So 
it really made it, it it really made it nice so that if somebody does come out let's say hypothetically somebody came out with a 50 cal first strike round it exists it, it, it wouldn't take me three months and i and i could have a, a barrel optimized to shoot that round so talk to max anyway. they'd probably buy it <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fifty cal shape for first strike or fifty cal shape projectile, of course. Yeah, uh, but if you, if, call it. yeah, I gotta yeah. get, I gotta get my hands on one of those. I was looking at the picture, and keep in mind, like ninety percent of Max Tax, uh, yeah, I, stuff is is less than lethal. They do a lot. I, of they, I, uh, it, it looked, it looked interesting, but at least the photos that I've seen of it, uh, one indicated that it's still prototype, and I don't know if that shell seemed awful thick. If in fact it was a shell. Yeah. So. And that's, that's, I was looking at, well, I was looking at one picture and keeping in mind that, that they were showing it off at, at an expo that only law enforcement and military go to because mm -hmm. they're looking for training uh, rounds and riot rounds. Right. Uh, right. That, <laughs> that round looked like it had BBs in it. It looked like there was tiny ball bearings in it. Like it looked like it was, it was supposed to stop somebody. Interesting. Yeah, it was intense looking. Um, a little more like the FN rounds where they had they were instead yeah. of being like three grams, they're like nine grams and, yeah, and not have either you know, pepper irritant and yeah, exactly. Yeah, eight and a half so. grams with the bismuth flowed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had heard so. they I mean totally different round so yeah I think, <laughs> I think what's interesting is what the shape projectile is if is if like the first strike as we say is you know as uh as dave is showing us here is that you know higher rpm the spin is one of the factors that gives the first strike its accuracy over round ball it's it, yeah. does it does a shape projectile benefit from the same spin who knows until we have it in our hands and i guess we're testing it you know it, it might it looked like such a big one piece shape coming back and with the um foam on the outside it doesn't really look like it's supposed to get a firm grip like it wouldn't surprise me if with that little piece of foam works as a buffer and it basically you know knuckleballs it so there's almost no spin coming out of it there's uh, nothing there's no grabbing on it so I don't know, it's, it's just interesting jeff uh, myself and a few other folks uh, a few years back tested some of the early prototypes and uh you know they were not nearly as accurate at the time and granted you understand that uh at the time omar macy was was doing uh, the alpha work, right? Uh, they were they were all handcrafted, right? They weren't. They, wow. They were early, they early prototypes, eh? Right. They yeah. were not coming out off of a process controlled, you know, assembly line, right? Right. Uh, but you know, they were they were achieving higher higher spin rates, uh, and you know, at at medium range, you know, thirty to forty yards, you know. They weren't nearly as good as a first strike at the time, uh, but it showed promise. Yeah. So well, I, uh, I think because we talked to the guys from Tier One Armament, who are pretty close with MCS, and mm -hmm. uh, they wouldn't say for sure, but these new rounds that MCS has been talking about, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did get a spin because if that foam around the out outer edge was like a neoprene style foam, it would have a bit of stick to it. It would grip those grooves like those rifling. Uh, yeah, I guess I could see that. Right. Yeah. And it might start to spin. But I guess the whole point of it was that they're not trying to compete with the FSR so much as they're trying to bridge the gap between the paintball and the right. FSR. Right. So, and there, there's actually a space for that, if you ask me. If the price right. is right and if the performance is in the middle, there could very well still be a space for that. Yeah, Absolutely. If it's 70% as accurate as a first strike, but it costs, you know, a fourth of what a first strike round costs, then that math works in my head. I, I yeah, there's, 
there's there's absolutely a market for it. I've I've been uh, ever since I first had an opportunity to to try some of the initial prototypes. I was very excited about it for that exact reason. Uh, you know, you're looking at guys that are doing CQB, uh, yeah. you know, and or shorter, you know, short to mid range type stuff. Uh, that that you know they're all in search of greater accuracy and precision, but maybe not at 100 yards. Maybe at 40, 50 yeah. max. And, and to be honest, Lou, that's pretty much how I describe myself is that, you know, if I'm with my, even with my first strike, if I'm reaching out to 70 yards, you know, that's pretty extensive for me, you know, 70, 80 yards. Uh, I just like that. If I see somebody at a hundred feet or at 150 feet, I, if I see them, I want to, I and mean, it's a clear line of sight. I want to be able to hit them with at least, you know, if I miss my first shot, I just hit them with the second. The worst is when you've got somebody you're on, you've only got six mags or in your last mag. And there's that guy at 120 yards, you're using round ball and they're just missing and you just can't get them. You're, you're trying to save it. So exactly. I think around that split that difference. I don't, like I said, I don't need, you know, personally a hundred yard accuracy, yeah, you know, anything that would cover me right. between 50 and 70 would be perfect. Um, right. for myself. I'm getting that with the FSR now, but I'm now very trigger conscious. I'm only firing, you know, I'm playing a whole day at Dominion and, you know, shooting maybe 200 first strikes, 250 first strikes at maximum when a round ball day, I would have easily gone through 500 plus in that same amount of time. Yeah. So, you know, if there was a round that could split the difference, that would be, you know, right in my sweet spot at least. And I'm sure I kind of fit in with a lot more players who haven't gone all the way to bolt action or the full on sniper role. Yeah, that's, I think, that's think just, back to like David's point, as long as the rounds, you know, whether it's, you know, whomever's the manufacturer, as long mm -hmm. as they're sticking to the same aspect ratio, the same mass, uh, you know, and the same diameter specs. Updating the molds regularly. Right. <laughs> then, you know, there, there, there should be, there, there should be uh, a benefit. You know, we can assume that there will be a benefit, you know, to what Nemesis brings to the party. Uh, if, if per chance, you know, more than one of those parameters changes in some significant way, then maybe not. But that, that, if that were the case, then it probably wouldn't work in most other markers either. So. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So real quick, um, uh, when, when air pellets were developed, um, you know, I, I really feel like MagFed is kind of moving um, we're about 200 years behind the air, the air gun industry, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but pretty much we're, we're kind of following suit. Right. Uh, so, um, when, when air pellets were developed, they were originally developed to be shot perfectly acceptably out of a smoothbore barrel. Um, and when, uh, you know, you had some tankers like Lou and I that said, well, what happens if you spin these things? Well, they actually found that the grouping substantially uh, you know, shrank when they spun these rounds that were really developed to not be pre-spun, right? So, um, so I, I really think that that's probably what we're going to start to see. The only difference, the biggest difference I see is the fluid dynamics, like Lou had talked about earlier. The, the fluid dynamics, if any projectile is produced um, now or in the future, that doesn't have as close to 100% fill as possible, uh, you're gonna see uh, severe um, movement of that projectile in flight, especially if you pre-spin it. Uh, so, um, 
you know, anybody that comes out with a new round should should highly heed the warning that they need to try to get as maximum fill in that round as possible. And they should they should know that if they're that far along in development, they they already know that parameter. Yeah, who yeah. would have thought fluid sloshing around would throw the round off? Well, yeah. It's like shooting a torque converter. It's like shooting a bullet shaped <laughs> like torque converter. Shooting a torque converter. <laughs> and when you really get down to so it, so true. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's that's the perfect way to put that. And you know what? I'd actually only understand that reference is the fact that I had to cut one of those damn things in half for a high school project. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, Joe. I can't pronounce the last name. Magna? Joe Magna. He says, so with the Nemesis, oh. how much more distance are we talking about and how accurate at that distance? So is yeah, there going to so, be increased distance? Or? You know, there, there's distance is one of those things where, first of all, I'm going to tell you that you're not going to, you are know, not going to gain any physically farther distance with the Nemesis barrel. I'm going to tell um, them I'm not going to get 300-foot shots. Come on now. Or any other barrel, from my understanding. You're, <laughs> that, the weight time right. velocity. That's correct. I mean, you know, the ballistic, the BC value of a first strike round is the same out of a smooth bore as it is out of the Nemesis. It, you know, it, it, might, it might deviate by, you know, 0 0.01 or 0 0.1, uh, not even 0.1, but it's going to deviate by probably 0 0.01. Um, but even at that rate, you're, it's not, it's not enough that you're going to see a difference at range. Um, no, if you the want, reason, sorry, we may, we, we, we have a protocol for if we get the camera to be able to sort of prove that if there is in fact a measurable change in BC, but to David's point, there's a difference between measurable and practical. So, yeah, exactly. Just because, yeah, just because you can measure 0.1 doesn't mean you should be announcing that we have more range than the next barrel. Um, right. And for anyone who's worried about more range, you want more range, get yourself a flatline barrel and then see if you can hit the broadside of a barn. <laughs> like, that's, you want range, that's how you get range. You got to make the ball pop and that ain't going to work well. Yeah, we, we don't have pop-ups in paintball or in first strikes. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Somebody should find a way we to had, do that. Uh, Sorry, to interrupt. Sorry. No, I was just uh, somebody needs to find a way to make a pop up at first strike. I want a bent nemesis oh. barrel. Give me that, and I can <laughs> and we'll make it fly. It'll be cool. great. Well, what I was gonna say was um, the. I gotta gather my thoughts again. Uh, <laughs> what, I was gonna, what I was gonna say was that the um, the 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 Star Twelve has. Um, the SAR-12 and the CCM SR-1, SSR, um, whichever variant you're using, uh, I think that they've kind of pushed the envelope to where uh, people have, have finally started to accept that tech, that level of technology in, in MAGFED um, as, um, as capable of doing what is advertised. So, um, and... and and the distance that those guns bring to the table isn't necessarily distance over any other marker. All it is is it's a controlled distance, right? It's 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 by maximizing the effective range of of that projectile. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with, um, you know, you could, and it's not a, it's not an insult. You could you could fire out of a out of a TIPX. You could get a first strike to go the same distance as one shot out of a out of a SAR. Uh, it, it just all comes down to controlling that round and 
being able to put that tighten that group up as much as possible. Yeah. So well, I, it's like you said, it's the tip X and the star, right? You got first strike weighs the same. And if they're both shooting at 280 feet per second, that means that the, the round is going to travel the same speed and it's going to be the same mass. And I don't quite know the equation to that because I failed high school physics, but <laughs> that equals same distance, right? Give or take. Or am I horribly wrong? Is there a reason why I failed? Fitness? Yeah, the you know there's 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 usable usable improvements, and that's what what David and David and I tend to kind of be focused on in our, our nerdy little space, right? What can be done to practically improve the the flight of this projectile, right? And the way that a player interacts with the platform, right? You know, you go back to the, the supremacy as an example. You know, what's contained in the, the supremacy is not just a bunch of calculations, but it's also, you know, a, a, a distillation, if you will, of workflow characteristics that manifest itself in the reticle itself. So instead of using, say, a calibrated MOA or mil dot scope or MRAD scope, measuring a target, doing calculations, turning an HHA, blah, blah, blah. Most of that mental workflow is now captured in the, in the reticle that David designed for the supremacy. So that brings a bunch of somewhat marginally complicated BS down <laughs> into something that is real easy to use. And that's kind of what he's focused on. Yeah, I, I've actually had the chance to put my eye behind a supremacy actually at Dominion. Uh, I got to pick one up there and I've been bidding. You said Joe and I can't remember his last name there either. I've been trying to bid. He's been putting up uh, supremacies in the raffle group like crazy and I bid on like three of them and I can't win shit. So Joe, <laughs> Joe's got to either put up another SAR or another supremacy so that way I can finally win one without having to unfortunately uh, shell out the 350 US which in Canadian dollars is about my mortgage payment. So yeah, it's like uh, Dave, we love you, but I can't afford yeah. it. I will be looking for one in the raffle group, hopefully. And uh, as I said, you know, I'm not a dedicated sniper by any means, but I have had the chance to use one, and it's a phenomenal product. It's actually very high up on my wish list of, yeah. of uh, my next year that I would the, like to get. So I would love to own a SAR, but I'm scared to death that I would I would buy it and then never find the right situation to use it. Well, our fields in the Maritimes here just don't have the scale that you yeah. do have for some other fields. No, I could shoot you um, in the other spawn. <laughs> right? Like it, it just, there is a couple stars out here in the Maritimes. Um, you know, uh, you know, a couple guys, actually one was even used in the Meg Fed League, but on the size of our fields, it is a little bit difficult, um, you know, for a bolt action at least. Um, so yeah, it is, it is tough. That's what kept me from really diving in on picking up Masar myself is there's not as much opportunity to use it here as I would like, but we do travel a lot. And I thought, you know, getting a supremacy would help me kind of bridge that gap. So that way I'm not just kind of winging it when I get above 50 yards and hoping to hit somebody that I can actually, you know, really dial in. And uh, for example, we were at uh, Operation N War 8 out in Copperopolis. And I mean, you know, trying to shoot first strikes over those distances, you know, without a sight of any kind, I mean, was pretty difficult. And I had my, you know, uh, buddy Josh with us and he's using just a, you know, cheap airsoft, you know, $60, $80, you know, Amazon site. And I mean, even with that alone, he's performing pretty well. And I'm thinking like, 
if you've got the supremacy and you're not constantly angling way up and then trying to look down and the person's not even in your rectal when you're shooting at them, um, you know, the difference it could make to have a supremacy that's designed to really show you, almost map out the distances for you and really almost make it sniping for dummies in, in some sense, right? Like, actually, I, yeah, uh, yeah, I love it, that tech. It's based on. And, and it's, it's applicable. It's applicable to pretty much any first strike platform. Again, as David absolutely. mentioned earlier, right? The velocity, uh, you know, the velocity you shoot 280 out of any gun, it's for the most part, it's going to travel the same trajectory. Okay. Yeah. You know, given atmospherics and all this crap, but it, the, the thing <laughs> the that does for you on any gun, uh, I remember uh, at Dominion 2, I think it was, I loaned a supremacy to uh, Chuck and he put it on his T-15. David zeroed it, helped him zero it in real quick. And even at medium range, he was able to make one round shots without have really without having to think about it because of that, you know, ballistic drop compensating reticle. So it's, I love it. It's smart. It's it, when I immediately saw the supremacy, I immediately thought of uh, the there's a, a. Sorry, my brother's making noises through the wall. It's freaking me the hell that. out. Yeah, it's like the haunting <laughs> of the Maritime Wilson podcast. He's playing PUBG and I think he's freaking out. Um, uh, <laughs> anyways, it reminds me of uh, the Russian scopes that they used. That they had the there was a like a curved line. Basically, you lined the head of the soldier to the line. It gave you a number, and that was the number on the scope that you used. And it was perfect. It was analog. It didn't require batteries. It didn't require uh, right. complex mathematics. You could basically cite your range uh, using using the scope. Um, Real quick, though, somebody asked a question, and I actually, I had the same question. Uh, Stephen, Stephen, I'm not pronouncing your last name. D, D, O, N, E, R, D, O, Stephen, D. Uh, can you explain the spline on the Nemesis and how it affects the round? So what the hell is a spline? Great question, Stephen D. <laughs> D uh, <laughs> District 9. So, uh, let's see. So, um, the spline. So, the best way to the best way to discuss this is to understand the fact of how a traditional rifle barrel works, right? So, traditional rifle barrels have um, have pretty much. We're just going to call it a smoothbore barrel, and then you take and you cut grooves in it. So, the first strike. Uh, the FSR barrel from Lapco and the Milsig barrel and the Hammerhead barrel all have the same barrel design. Um, a lot of politics involved in that, but uh, pretty much from what I'm gathering, uh, this all kind of came about from a relationship between um, uh, Lapco and, and uh, Hammerhead. Originally, those two had worked together to make hammerhead barrels. And uh, at that point, I kind of lose track on everything. But anyways, you'll notice that all three of those barrel systems all have the identical or very close to identical properties. They're 14 spline, so, or I'm sorry, 14 groove. So pretty much what it is, it's a smoothbore barrel with, with grooving. Well, that works well uh, with uh, brass, or um, lead-based bullets because 
you can put such a compression on those rounds that they actually swage a little bit into the grooves, and that's what allows the rifling to occur. Now you try to you try to do that to an egg, and what's going to happen? Well, the, the egg's going to shatter. You can't put that kind of compression on the egg. But the problem is you need that compression to get that egg spun. So it, you're at a catch-22. Well, I need the grip to get the spin, but it's too much grip. So because of that, that's when Dave, Katie, Lou, and I started taking a step back and saying, how do we grip this round yet not compress the snot out of it to where it cracks or we have to hold a tight tolerance on the round itself, you know, as far as uh, expecting that round to always be 684 or whatever. Um, that's when we started looking at these different profiles, and one of the profiles we came up with was the swine drive. Now, this is a long answer to what Stephen was asking. Um, so, <laughs> so pretty much swine drive, how it works is, if you can imagine a knife blade, a set of knife blades for, in this current barrel, you've got four knife blades that stick up to a point where um, you can feel them, but you can't cut yourself on them, and they don't cut a gelatin round ball. So they're there, and all that we're doing is uh, the first couple of inches that the first strike is in the barrel, we're actually cutting a mating groove into the first strike, and then after that few that few set of inches, now you're just literally um, the first strike is riding on that spline. So it's pretty much, that's where the name okay. is. Yeah. Okay, that actually, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So there, Instead of having your smooth bore with the lines cut back that the round would normally have to expand and compress and fill that space, you actually have the smooth bore barrel with nubs coming down, essentially, to actually catch the round when it goes through so there's no compression on the round itself, which is, right. I imagine, gives you much better ability to dial in that grip and that spin than hoping it fill expands and fills the gaps. That's very interesting. <laughs> Matthew's yeah, requesting the whiteboard. He wants diagrams. He wants diagrams, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, you know, I tried with my hands. I don't know. Hold on, hold on. I got paper here. You guys keep talking. I'll figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so, you know, in essence, um, you know, we, after testing, we knew that we were onto something pretty, pretty remarkable. And there's, you know, there's, uh, we're, we're working heavily on IP for this. This is not something that, um, you know, just way too much time and money in development to, uh, to not protect this IP. So, um, you know, whether, whether it has four splines, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, we're looking, what is it? What if we do more splines? You know, so we're looking at taking the number up to 8, 16, 32. Oh, um, what if we had, like, that'd be amazing. Sorry. Just well, the there, at a certain extent, at a certain extent, um, the the number of splines uh, would be actually probably um, create a negative situation where you're, the, the amount of friction initially would be so great then I believe it would affect your consistency. So uh, there's a fine line of between controlling the round and, and being able to control the valve. So that's kind of what we have to go into next. Yeah, you could test. I mean, anybody can test this themselves, you know, with, you know, legacy style barrels. You know, you grab one of the 683 barrels or 684 barrels, and as long as your round isn't smaller than that, and there shouldn't be much in that, you know, 
in that space. But you fire one through it and capture it in a blanket or something and take a look at the FSR and you'll see where the lands are scraping the plastic off of the outside of the round. And it's a considerable amount of area on the round itself that's in contact with the lands of that 683 barrel. Uh, well, it, that helps to get the spin that you know David was talking about much earlier. But what we found in, in certain testing was that that tight of a bore um, actually has a negative effect on shot-to-shot -shot consistency. You know, and that all has to do with, you know, the actual diameter of each round, how much pressure is being put against the round as it's running through such a tight bore. Well, the spline drive reverses, uh, reverses that. The amount of contact patch, if you will, for the splines on the round is, is literally um, tiny. I, I won't say microscopic, uh, but tiny compared to the contact patch of a classical 683 or 684 bore. And if you got a 686 bore, you have the opposite is issue going on. You can take pretty much any FSR that's produced today and measure it, and you'll find, uh, at least I've found over the course of the last two years, that the diameter of those rounds has shrunk to the point where you can drop around literally through pretty much any 686, 687 bore. Uh, you know, just take the barrel and drop it right through or jiggle it and it'll fall through. So uh, hmm. yeah. it's a test anybody can do, so. I, I've done it myself and I do believe that the, the Milsig line that I use is 686. And uh, I have done that. I have dropped around right through. I've yet to do, I've been told if you want to test whether your barrel actually pre-spins the round or not would be to take a little marker, draw a little line on the back of it, vertical, drop it through. And I mean, see if you can either see it spin as it goes down or catch it when it drops at the other end and notice if there's a spin. I haven't gone that far in the testing myself, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, very interesting. I think your point about having the splines and having such narrow points of contact is basically just the four blades widths that would make, you know, a near, you know, tiny little slit in it. And then you're right, it doesn't have that compression or locking in the air behind it if it's such a tight bore. I, it's, uh, I didn't really think of it that way, but now that you've explained it, it really shows the multiple benefits of going that way. Yeah, I need one of these barrels. Uh, <laughs> Tim, my thoughts as well. Tim Banks actually asked, he said, is it, he asked this a little while back, and, uh, Yes, is it possible to put too much spin on a projectile? Like, could you could you potentially overspin a first strike? Uh, that's a great question, and theoretically, the physics guy. Theoretically, yes. Oh. Uh, you know, you could take again going back to the parallels of real ballistics, right? Um, there's, there's a lot of debate in the real steel space as to whether or not you can, one can overspin a projectile. And at, in one sense, you can from a, if you take a, a lead core projectile and a copper, you know, with a, with, with a copper jacket on it, uh, it's possible that you could overspin such a round to the point where it literally detonates, right? Uh, given the nature of the FSR, which is our, what we currently have to work with, uh, it's entirely possible that one could be overspun, going back to the fluid dynamics that we talked about a couple of times earlier. Uh, and that would manifest itself, one would imagine, in decreased accuracy and precision. Uh, so I don't know, David, if you want to 
expand on that further? Um, I think the I think the biggest uh, I I think the biggest hurdle to rifling these rounds is um, as Lou is the fluid dynamics. Um, uh, I think I think that uh, we're confident in the um, in the performance of the barrel as it stands. Would we want to go to a tighter twist? At this time, I see no value in going to a tighter twist. Okay, that makes sense. So you're so the spin you guys have achieved is pretty much where you want it, anyways. So you're not yeah, I think um, you know. I think uh, the the next the next process that we'll probably look at is. Um, We'll probably take and look at different tooling to look at different um, to look at different rifle twists uh, and, and and altering the twist rate based on the length of the barrel, you know, or perhaps based on the valve, right? So that's the next step, I think, is trying to give players, um, even if they're not purchasing a SAR-12, we we still want to do our best at trying to maximize the performance of whatever marker they're using. So, you know, maybe we find that again, the mil sig, maybe we find the mil sig actually works great with a, with a 10 inch uh, long barrel that has, uh, that has a twist rate. That's, you know, between what we're offering with the nemesis and what's currently on the market. You know, we, again, that's what we're saying we've come a long way with that barrel project, but there's just still so many more um, attributes that we can really exploit and look at down the road. And, and as nerds, that's what really kind of gets us excited about, you know. Nice. Uh, Matt too wants to know is, is there the possibility of a Karmatek shaped projectile in the future? Oh, I mean, I'm not going to rule it out because I'll tell you I'll tell you what I where I want to take the company. I, I want to take the company to a point where um, it's a lofty goal, but I want to be able to have customers hitting 150 yard targets. My goal is to make them so that they can hit 150 yards. And Dave, um, I want to be one of those customers. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you know, it's like I said before. It's it's always about pushing the you know we're pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope and and we've done. You know, you start you start at the gun and you work your way out. You know, you work your way from you know the valve to the um, to the barrel and all the way out. So that's kind of where we're at. So I, you know, I'm. Um, do I want to compete with uh, first strike, uh, first strike rounds or any other rounds that come to market? No, and I'm not going to. Um, first strike would probably. Um, they 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 don't want to work in that space that I would want to work in, you know, the the amount of I would like to see a cost effective version of a projectile, but but at the end of the day, it could be a dollar dollar fifty each round, you know, just to be able to get it to able to shoot 150 yards and be able to make that consistently, you know, at that point you're talking, you know, you're talking about an expensive round probably. So, I, but, I don't you know, it. It, yeah. So, um, that's just you know, not unusual. I mean, if you think about if you think about real steel, 
you know, there's a significant difference in, you know, shooting, you know, 600 yards, a thousand yards, or, you know, trying to, trying to even dip your toe into the, you know, very long range or extreme long range game. You know, you're going from, you know, 70 cents or a dollar around to $7 around, you know, or more in some cases, if you're using wildcat stuff. So, yeah, not yeah. that, not yeah, that was... there's a direct parallel, but there's a, no, I was, just, I was just thinking well, it, the same thing when uh, we go shooting 22 cal. It's a, you know, it's a box of bullets cost you know, like $10, but you try to think some of those 50 caliber rounds have got to be sitting at somewhere like 10, 15, $20 a round. Like that's a lot of material. It's a lot of uh, ballistics happening there. So I can, I could see well, it. I could see a super long range projectile somehow if it's ever achieved being expensive because it's going to have to be some crazy manufacturing process. Our, our, our limitation in paintball is, is really centered around the topic that we started talking about earlier on at the beginning of the book podcast, which has to do with, you know, velocity and mass and size limitations, right? In order for paintball to be, you know, safe and insurable and all that stuff, you know, we can't jack up the velocities, right? can't shoot at 400 FPS because I get that borders on, you know, uh, or exceeds that exceeds what's considered safe velocity, you know, for your personal protective gear. So what you're saying is we need different masks. Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that paintball (laughs) itself, you know, there's limitations that we can't get beyond, which don't exist in other shooting sports. We're actually shooting at each other, right? We don't want to kill each other. It depends on the day. Uh, <laughs> depends on my. So mood. just, just real quick about about projectiles. Um, so, it, it by increasing the BC value, we don't have to increase it very much. It's it's a very very minute increase in BC. Gives us because we're so far at the bottom end, we're we're literally throwing bricks at 100 yards right now, right? So. Um, if we if we move that BC value up by you know 0.01, 0. 0.02, we just added 20 yards, you know. So so there is definitely, um, in my opinion, there's definitely uh, a reality that we can make 150 yards. I, I definitely think that we can do that, and we can still do it within the limits of mass and velocity that are already set by ASTM standards. So it's just a matter of um, it's just a matter of going out there and, and developing around. So awesome. Totally makes sense. Fellas, we're sitting at the little past the hour mark. Uh, oh, so I'm gonna we're gonna bring it, we're gonna wind it down, we're gonna end it here because uh, well, it's ten o'clock my time and I have to work in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, past my bedtime. That's it's, right. right. I'm just I'm either I'm either depending on I don't know, depending on who I'm talking to, either I'm a young and I need to get to bed early or I'm old and I'm tired. Uh, take your pick. So a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, <laughs> a little right? bit, a little bit, right? A little bit. Uh, so, uh, first let me say, Dave, Lou, thank you so much for coming on and chatting and, Excellent. uh, sciencing the shit out of paintball. Cause that's exactly what you just did. Uh, I, th- I think this is honestly the most, uh, educated episode we have <laughs> yeah. ever had you're you guys are right now you're talking fluid dynamics velocities and all that jazz on a podcast where we have discussed porn sites 
So <laughs> yeah. my hat is off to you gentlemen for somehow classing this podcast up. Uh, that's, that is an impressive feat. Uh, for everyone who stuck around uh, in the comments and is watching us live, uh, you know, again, uh, thanks to you guys and, and girls. We, we appreciate every minute of it. Um, normally, I would have, have cut us off about halfway through and done like sponsor spotlight and stuff and talked about the sponsors. Uh, unfortunately, system's not fully set up yet. I had to wipe the computer's uh, hard drive yesterday that or the day before yesterday. That sucked. So I got to build all that back up. Technology, man, it's evil. It, it really is. Windows wouldn't let me log in. There was some sort of uh, synchronization error causing some issues. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to wipe the hard drive. And then I, and I was like, I don't know if I have a backup. So Ooh. I managed to get a little bit, but not everything. So um, guys, if you want to learn more about the testing and stuff of the uh, of the first strike rounds and all that, if you head over to this website, it's shapedprojectiletesting.com. Uh, meant to talk about that earlier. Take a look. That way you can see how they got all of this crazy knowledge about first strikes and how all of this stuff works because they had to. That was uh, that was part of the deal. Um, and uh, and read up on it. Get educated on that stuff and learn how this all works. So uh, if you have not yet tried a SAR-12, do so. If you have not yet tried a Supremacy Scope, do so. Uh, if you haven't used a first strike round, do so. <laughs> and if you haven't been shot by a first strike round, do so. So that way you don't have the misconception that you're going to lose right? an arm yeah, or ruin your day slice your arm clean or on, that right. it somehow hurts more than a regular no. paintball because I will admit, that conception still stands in yeah. so many places that we go to. Uh, <laughs> I, you turn my back, I'd be hard pressed to tell you what was one or the other getting hit. Yeah. At least, I will admit my though, experience at least. Uh, first strikes still scare the piss out of me when they whistle past my ear. Like that's, <laughs> that will always scare me. I, I think it's just the whistle is all it is. It's just like, that well, was. I can, I can remember the first time I got shot at with one many, 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 many moons ago. And what, what that whistle is that you describe, you know, the sound of it passing by What that, my interpretation of that is there's somebody who has the ability to be more accurate. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, yeah. that whistle just means he sighted in. <laughs> time to move oh yeah um so do that and uh obviously check out karma tech uh on facebook and on their webpage and take a look at all the cool stuff that they have uh dave do we have an estimated time when the nemesis barrel will be in our hands the consumer's hands yeah so um probably looking at end of january early february oh, early wow. february would be the latest yeah, you know, I think, um, I know you got to go, but I think a lot of what we see is people, um, I don't want to come out with a, I don't want to come out with a date because I think a lot of customers or a lot of, as a, as a community, I think we naturally are kind of disappointed because, because uh, promises get made and it's everybody, right? Every manufacturer does it. And it's, it's one of those things where you, you know, as a manufacturer now, I, I really have to, you know, really kind of bite my tongue and not not give dates just because I know. Oh, look, like the cat showed up. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm pretty confident about end of January, early February. Fantastic. I can't wait to get my hands awesome. on one. That is, that is the first part to a build I'm working on right now. Can't wait. Go. Can't wait. Uh, all right. 
Awesome. So mm -hmm. uh, that's it. That's all. Like that's all. That's all we got. So, gentlemen, again, thank you uh, for coming on and, and hanging out with us. It was uh, it was a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having. It was thanks educational. For thank you guys. Yeah. Uh, it was. I I almost understood half of what you were talking about. It was great. <laughs> awesome. It's fantastic. Uh, so keep us updated on that high speed camera. If you manage to get some sweet high speed camera stuff going, I want to see that stuff. And fingers crossed. Right. Uh, for everyone watching live on Facebook, do us a favor and eh? head over to YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, type in Maritime Milson Podcast, and you'll find us there. Because uh, every once in a while, Facebook doesn't like us. They'll just randomly like not let us stream. <laughs> yeah. I have to figure things out. I managed to get it to work, but um, you know, maybe in the future I won't be able to. And YouTube is actually pretty good. You click the button and it streams. It's pretty awesome. So go over there, give us some subscriptions, and uh, or subscribe. And what is it? Hit that notification bell. Become part of the notification squad. Is that what they say? It? Uh, I don't know what these, these crazy kids and all their slang. Um, but that's it. So, again, everyone, thank you for hanging out. And uh, keep an ear to the ground because we're going to be having some people on to talk about a brand new MagFed marker that's coming Ooh. out. Ooh, right? In the next few weeks. So, it's going to be very cool. Very excited to talk about that. So, again, everyone, thank you so much. That's it. We're out of here. So until next week, cheers. Out of here. Bye. Yeah.